God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. What are you hiding behind? But we all hide behind something, don't we? In some way or another, we are hiding. I, I, was, I, I don't see this so much, but at one point in time when my children would play, the, the younger ones were always a little bit braver when we were around. Right? They would always push the envelope a little bit, maybe stretch the older one's temper just to the edge. And then what would happen is we'd be standing in the kitchen and they would all come running in being crazy and they would literally hide behind us and grab our legs. A little bit braver knowing that we could bail them out. But when we weren't there, it was a totally different story. Reminds me of the Wizard of Oz where you have the the big blustery face of Oz. I am the wizard, the great and powerful Oz. And then Toto runs around there and pulls the curtain back, and it's just this little old guy with a big microphone (laughs) hiding behind the image of the wizard. We all hide behind a lot of things in this life. Our identities, our family connections, those things that we do, those things that define us. There's a story about Margaret Thatcher, great um, prime minister of Great Britain, who in the latter part of her life was in an uh, assisted living facility or was in kind of a hospital of, of sorts. And um, one of the assistants was there with her, and she said, Do you know who I am? And she said, uh, No, but maybe the head nurse could help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Discovering who we are. And we hide behind these things. I am a doctor. I am a lawyer. I am a teacher. I'm a saleswoman. I'm a nurse. I'm a talented musician. These things that we think give our lives meaning. These things that give us meaning and give us identity and a feeling of worthiness. A feeling of justification. That somehow I'm okay. That somehow no matter what I do, this kind of gives me merit and gives me meaning. You know, this is what the whole college admission scandal is all about, isn't it? I mean, there but for the grace of God, I came home and I said, Mary, the FBI are going to be here in about uh, two hours. <laughs> because I have a child who's, a, who's applying to college. You know, we're trying to fill out these applications and all of these things. Now, I'm not, not giving money to an institution, right? But all of these kind of things that people are doing, it it gets to the root of the things that we hide behind. If my child doesn't get into the school, then they won't do this or they won't do that, and then who am I? Who are they? I mean, these actions are being driven by something much deeper than just the desire to get into school. It's an identity crisis. It's where do I get my merit and my meaning? And how can I live vicariously through my children so that they can give me meaning? And lest you think it's just limited to them, let's look in the mirror at ourselves. Kids go off to school and then empty nesters. Who am I? 
I'm no longer the perfect mother. I'm no longer the dutiful coach of a father. I have this crisis. We find ourselves sometimes that those things that gave us meaning are gone. And then we have this identity crisis. I read an article in the New York Times, an op-ed piece by a guy by the name of Adam Gant, um, who said that we need to stop asking our kids what they want to be when they grow up. Well, I do that about twice a week. Because <laughs> I want to be sure that it matches what I want them to be when they grow up, right? Well, are you sure you can make a living doing that? You know, I mean, the nuance is lost on a 12-year-old. I said we need to stop asking them, not because it's too much for them to know what they want to do when they grow up, because we're putting value in what they do. That somehow, when I ask that question 50 times a week, Or when that becomes the subject of dinner conversation and the only subject of dinner conversation, that when I tell them when they get out of the car, be kind and include others, that's totally lost. Because suddenly what it is, is it's success, it's what I do, that's who I am, I need to do this, I need to strive, otherwise I don't have meaning in the eyes of my father or in the eyes of my mother. He says that that constant nagging voice that's demanding ever more, right? In the ladder of success. That's not the ladder to God. That's not the voice of God. Right? That is... The, the, the ladder to God is one that goes down. Right? It goes down to the cross. To the cross of shame. To the cross of our need. And it's at that point that we realize we've been given everything. And if the striving can stop. Because in the cross that we are walking towards in Jerusalem, Jesus has trampled shame. And we're called on to do the same. And yet we give in to the desires of the world. And the meaning of all of those around us. And that's what Paul's talking about in today's New Testament lesson. Paul, who is talking about being a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. He's going off of his resume, right? I was a Pharisee. I knew the law backwards and forwards. I was blameless. I thought that that made me righteous. That somehow made me worthy in the eyes of God. And this is the one place in Scripture where Paul actually cusses a little bit. One of the words that he uses in Greek when he talks about it's all rubbish. It's all nothing. The word is actually something that you might step in out here on the street. I'm not going to say it, alright? It's a strong word. means nothing when I met Jesus. Because I recognized that everything had been done in Him. That He is my righteousness. He is my justification. He is what gives my life meaning. And we know the same thing, and yet our lives don't reflect it. At least mine doesn't. I'm preaching to myself. Always. I give in to the striving. You know, in the 1970s, they came out with a cake mix 
All you had to do was really add water. You didn't have to add anything. It was all in one box, and they had, you know, the sails were nothing. They were flat. So then they, they put on the box, it said, add an egg. <laughs> sails skyrocketed. I got to do something in order to create this thing, right? I got to do something in order to be righteous or to be justified with God. And so our whole lives are spent striving. Our whole lives are spent trying to be worthy. Our whole lives are spent giving in to the ways of the world. And what it leads to is that thing that we've talked about in here before, which is we're never enough. And then our lives become filled with shame. I've never been a good father. I've never been a good mother. I've never been a good manager. I've never been enough. Surely I'm not enough in the eyes of God. How could God love somebody like me? And yet we've been given everything. It's basketball season. And I'm sorry to the Auburn Tigers, because I was rooting for you, even though I don't typically root for you. Um, Tough loss. Jim Valvano, who was the great and blustery coach of NC State, incredible success, rose to the pinnacle of power as a coach and success. He was suffering at the age of 47 from terminal spinal cancer. And he was speaking with a reporter, and he said when as a 23-year-old coach at a small college, he had that just... Dan, the torpedoes full speed ahead. No matter what, we're going to win. This is who we are. This is what we do. And at one point in time, a kid came up to him and he said, Coach, what gives? I mean, winning isn't everything. I mean, it's important, but we go out there and we try our best. We do our best. We're talented players. And he said, no, winning is everything. Because the final score defines you. You lose, ergo, you're a loser. You win, ergo, you're a winner. Participate, the, the, the player said, no, it's participation. It's, it's what we do. We're there. We're, we're doing our best. He said it took him more than 23 years of living. Took a rampage in his office at home after the 39-36 NC State loss to Virginia in 1982, lamps busted, chairs toppled, papers, books shoved everywhere, took charging through a locker room door and knocking cold out the doctor, the team doctor. It took a couple of dozen Christmases when his wife had to buy every gift and decorate every tree. It took bolting up from the mattress three or four times a night with his t-shirt soaked with sweat and his teeth rattling from the fever chills of chemotherapy and the terror of seeing himself die again and again in his dreams to know that they were right. It is effort. It is the trying, not the winning, that defines you. He said, God, what a great human being I could have been if I'd had this awareness back then. But how can you tell that to any coach who has a couple of kids and a mortgage and 15,000 people in the stands who judge him only by wins and losses. We spend our whole lives trying to be justified. 
Martin Luther in his disputation on man said that we're already justified through the love of Jesus Christ that he showed us on the cross. Seeing not as we are in all of our foibles, but imputed with the righteousness through Jesus Christ. God sees us as we are through Christ. And you are marked as Christ's own forever. Loved eternally no matter what you do, no matter who you are. And it changes you when you walk out there. It makes you want to serve. It makes you want to love. It makes you want to live into that being made okay. Being justified through Jesus. But we live in a world that's out of whack. And we give in to it each and every day. I give in to it. Thinking that I have to run a perfect service. So I get confused and out of sync. And I start worrying about what you think of me. I start worrying about my success and what I do. And I forget that I am a child of a living, loving God. We are striving. We are earning. We hide behind the jobs, the competition, those things that mark our identities. And it leads to seeing those who don't share our identities as less than, even less than human. And we see it every day in politics. We see it every day in business. And it is leading to a culture that is not just civil, but a culture that is downright dangerous. What would happen if we saw each other as children of God? Doesn't mean that we have to agree with everyone, but that we see them as children who are loved by God who died on the cross for them. If that's where we started the conversation, what would happen if we saw ourselves in the same way? Let me give you something to do. You know, what's a sermon without something to do? And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. Tomorrow when we get up and we look in the mirror, instead of thinking of all the things you got to do, and the things that you got to be, and the fact that there are new wrinkles around your eyes or bags that make you look like you didn't look 20 years ago, and somehow that makes you less than beautiful or less than perfect. Look at that image and say, you are a child of the living, loving God. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And when you see others that same day, do the same thing. And it will change you and it will change the world around. And you will no longer hide behind the fleeting accomplishments and the curtains and the masks of this world. You will finally rest. You will rest in the hands of the divine. The hands of the living God. Amen. Amen.